Hi everyone, this is Ben Guest, and today on the pod we have Scott Williams. Scott played four years at the University of North Carolina for legendary coach Dean Smith, and then he played 15 years in the NBA. Fewer than 5,000 people have ever played in the NBA, and fewer than 200 people have ever played 15 or more years in the NBA. And I was interested initially to talk to Scott about Michael Jordan and LeBron James, because Scott is one of the only players to play with both of those players, and he's the only player to ever play with Michael Jordan in his prime and then LeBron James in his prime. So first thing we talk about is who is the GOAT, and from there we talk about recent story with Scottie Pippen when when Pippen was doing an interview with Dan Patrick and said that Phil Jackson was racist. We talk about the new UNC head coach Hubert Davis who Scott was teammates with when they were both at UNC. And we talk about legendary coach Dean Smith. This will be the part one of a two-part podcast. For this part, enjoy our discussion of who is the GOAT, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Scott, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So thanks for making time. Hey, Ben, thanks for having me on, man. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, some good sports talk. So let's start first with, I'm sure, the question most hoops heads have on their mind, which is, in NBA history, there have been four players that have played with both Michael Jordan and LeBron James. You're the only player that played with Michael Jordan on the Chicago Bulls and played with LeBron. There's a couple other players, I think Larry Hughes, Jerry Stackhouse, and Brendan Haywood, I think, all played with Jordan on the Wizards. Um, and then play with LeBron at various points in their career. But you are the only player in NBA history to play with Michael Jordan in his prime on the Bulls, and play, you played with LeBron James in his second year, right on the cusp of his continued dominance in prime. So the question on everybody's mind, who's the GOAT? You know, it's a great question. Um, they're both phenomenal players. And that's one thing I, I always like to say right from the very beginning when I get this question, calling one the goat uh, is a, not a knock on the other. And, you know, that's been my stance. It will always be my stance because I have a fond appreciation for both of them. Not only just the talent, um, it's the work ethic, it's the drive, it's the commitment. Those to greatness, not just to fulfilling their obligations, but to strive for actual greatness. Uh, those are the things that impress me the most about both of them. I, I think that Michael Jordan possesses a little more than what LeBron James does as far as if you want to call one better than the other, who's the greater of the two. Um, in my opinion, that's Michael Jordan. Uh, but I appreciate the way they went about work every day. And you mentioned some of the other great players that I had a chance to play with um, after I played with Michael. Um, Allen Iverson, I'm talking about the Hall of Famers, the Allen Iversons, Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki. Those guys were phenomenal players. Uh, Hall of Famers, obviously, first ballot Hall of Famers. But it wasn't until I got with LeBron James my final year in the league and just this young man's second year in the league that I got to see what I saw in Michael day in and day out in practice. Um, 
a mentality that supersedes all the other players on the floor and all the other Hall of Famers that I just mentioned as well. And that was so refreshing to a guy that was he already had probably a foot, foot and a half outside the league. was thinking about, okay, 15 years, this is my, my last, my last uh, hurrah, that it rejuvenated me, gave me a feeling of, wow, I've come full circle from the very top to the very bottom of some of those dark, dark days in Philadelphia winning 18 games, uh, back up to somebody that possesses that same sort of mentality, which I had where I started with MJ. And that was really a cool way. We didn't make the playoffs. We lost to the tiebreaker, but it was a really cool way to kind of go out of the league, knowing that something about this league, this guy's going to carry this torch the way MJ carried it for many years. In the last dance, which I'm sure all the basketball fans across the world watched a few months ago, I think it was Will Perdue was talking about the sort of there was the expensive card game in the back of the plane and the less expensive card game up in the front of the plane. And he said, sometimes Jordan would come up there and play cards with the, with you and Will Perdue and BJ Armstrong, guys like that. And the sort of spin or the thought that, that Perdue had was, you know, Jordan wanted to show everybody I'm the best. I can beat the guys back there and I can beat the guys up here but you kind of had a different take on that. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, listen, I'm not trying to put words in any of those guys' mouths. They felt how they felt when they talked about MJ. Um, I, I took it a different way. I took it as Michael realizing to the, for the team to function well, he's got to connect with all of his teammates. And if he just played in the back of the uh, plane, uh, with a certain group that he wouldn't be able to spend time with the guys that were playing in the front, like Pax and myself, Will Perdue, Stacey King. It was his way to come in and connect with us. So I, I took it as him wanting to be a part of what we were doing, a, a part of the group. And that was very impressive to me because as I made my rounds through the NBA, there weren't guys that always tried to do that. Sometimes the league can be, you think of, it's a band of brothers on every team that you have, but sometimes it gets very clicky, very businessy. Some guys are aloof. Some guys are just nasty and you wouldn't want to break bread with them. You wouldn't want to uh, you know, play cards with them. So the personality that he had where he could be tough and demanding uh, in practice also carried over to another side that, yes, we are together. We are a, a, a team. I am expected to have a certain role as, as what Scott Williams or Will Perdue or Stacey King was expected to have a certain role as well. But nobody's bigger than when we get together to try to bond. And that was the way I took it. I think that's the way uh, any, any cat from North Carolina would take it, but some guys didn't go to North Carolina. So they, they looked at it as him coming over and trying to, again, be competitive, take control, be dominant. And I didn't see it that way. So you played with the Bulls from 1990 to 1994. A few months ago, maybe two months ago, Scottie Pippen was giving an interview with Dan Patrick and that moment in 94 came up when 
um, coach Phil Jackson drew up the, what turned out to be the game-winning play for Tony Kukoc and Pippen said he wasn't going to go because Pippen was designed to be on the sidelines making the pass and Pippen decided he wasn't going to go in. And through that conversation, that back and forth with Dan Patrick, Pippen essentially said that he thought Bill Jackson was racist or that there was some issue there. Uh, you were there, you were on the team, you were there in that moment. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I obviously remember the moment well. It was a very emotional moment for the entire basketball team, our franchise. Uh, we prided ourselves of having a sacred hoop and we all played for one another selflessly. And it was the one big time that I remember Pippen stepping outside that circle and being selfish. He wanted that ball. He wanted that last shot. He didn't think that he should be the decoy and Kukoc have an opportunity for the glory. And that's not the way for the four years that I had been there, the way the team's mentality had been. So it was a bit of a shocker. Um, things Pippen said afterwards about Phil Jackson being racist um, for, for me personally, for four years, I never really connected with Phil, but never did I ever think that the man was racist. He was a lot, a lot of, a lot of different things that were intellectual. He'd like to try to play some, some mind games with some, some cats that either they did know he was doing or didn't know he was doing it. I'm not quite hundred percent sure. Um, sometimes guys let things roll off their back a little easier than maybe I did had a bit of a chip on my shoulder anyway, cause I wasn't drafted. Um, so I was all about business when I was there. Some of my, I think things as, as a rookie, uh, that I had to deal with, uh, I dealt with them the best way that I knew how coming from the situation that I was previously in, in North Carolina. And that was just to work hard keep your head down, work hard, and you get your playing time. And I think Scottie Pippen, for, the same, for that same type of reason, when MJ was there, he had a big role on the team, but it wasn't the star role. And he knew the chips were on the line, a situation like that, Michael was going to get that opportunity. So with Michael not there, Pippen felt now it is his turn that he had earned that right to get that opportunity. And I'm not saying that maybe he should have gotten that shot. I'm saying that particular moment, it was best designed for Scotty, who was a pretty sure passer to ball handler, probably I think our leading assist guy, to make sure that the ball found its target, where, where Kukoc, who had already made a shot like that earlier in the season, would get off a good, a good shot using his height advantage over a smaller defender out on the perimeter. And that's all that it was to me. I don't think that had anything to do with a slight that he wanted the white player to take the shot over the black player. I think he just wanted the best opportunity for us to win a game that we desperately needed to win being down 0-2 in that series. We lose that game and it's over. The funny thing about that moment is after Tony uh, who was <laughs> a Hall of Famer going into the Hall of Fame or just went into the Hall of Fame, makes that shot. There's a great picture of 
Phil and I side by side, shoulder to shoulder. I'm in jubilation because Tony has just knocked the shot down. And Phil looks like someone has just kicked his dog because he knows the aftermath is about to take place in the locker room. We were in that locker room for a good hour, hour and a half and closed locker room to the press why we dealt with all of the emotions that came in that final uh, moments of that basketball game and our Cartwright speaking and crying and John Paxson, uh, very emotional, you know, the senior, the lead, the senior leaders on that squad and, and, uh, and, and Pippen, you know, just beside himself and, and emotions, not sure which way to take it and later apologizing to the team for his uh, selfishness. But I never thought Phil was racist. Um, was he my favorite coach at the time? Probably not because I was the lone rookie on that team or the youngest player for a number of years before Tony joined the squad. And um, I took a lot of the, you know, they say SHIT rolls downhill. So I took a lot of things that I didn't think I was responsible for or anger or the way the team was playing was more directed towards me. Um, but uh, I understood what Phil was trying to get for me in my development. It was, I was thankful that he always put me in situations to maximize my abilities while minimizing my weaknesses. And I will always be eternally grateful for that. Speaking of that series, the Bulls-Knicks series in 94, in game six, Pippen had one of the greatest in-game dunks of all time. I think um, the NBA did their countdown of the best dunks of all time. And it was number one when he dunked over Ewing. What do you remember <laughs> about that play? Yeah, uh, I think it was uh, one of our guards, uh, Pete Myers, I think he had uh, shuffled a pass over to Scotty and Patrick, who I love Patrick doing. I mean, what a phenomenal center and a career that he had. Uh, I think it ironic that I sit with three championship rings and a player that I analyzed all the way back to his days back in Georgetown when I wanted them to beat North Carolina in the national championship game. Uh, I cried when they lost. Um, was, uh, he has no rings and I have three. I don't think that sometimes basketball gods are unfair in those situations, but uh, he would go after everything, you know, try to block every shot. And try, but uh, he was late in rotation and Scotty Cotty good. And what would made it so bad was the way Patrick was up underneath Scotty and Scotty pushing him to the hardwood afterwards and then kind of walking across Patrick's body, straddling both sides of, <laughs> both sides of uh uh, of, of Beast after he had bested him. That was kind of a little salt in the wound after, after the dunk. So speaking of the University of North Carolina, uh, you ended up going there and playing four years under the legendary coach, Dean Smith. And UNC had a big past couple of months with coach Roy Williams retiring and Hubert Davis, who was your teammate at UNC, um, taking up the coaching duties there. So what do you think about that change? I love it. I absolutely love it. I, I, I don't think the announcement was an hour old and I was already on the phone trying to figure out a way I could get on that staff. And I, 
I think they're going to do some really special things. And I just love to think about Carolina, man. Our family, the Carolina family is so strong from Coach Smith handing the reins over to Bill Guthridge, who had been there for 30 years, to Matt Doherty, who screwed it up, but we won't talk about that. But then they go get Roy Williams. They bring him in. And, you know, obviously the record that he had and success that he had, who knows if anybody will ever match that at North Carolina. Uh, and then for him to hand it off to Hubert Davis. So I played for Coach Smith. I played for Bill Guthridge. I played for Roy Williams. Uh, and I played with Hubert Davis. So selfishly being a, a part of all of that basketball history at North Carolina, I absolutely love the, the move. He's such a bright mind um when i played with him watching him as a commentator on espn things he's done as an assistant under coach williams and already off to a great start the, the college ranks has changed so much with the uh transfer portal going losing players going and getting players going and getting recruits he's done a really good job solidifying that transition from coach Williams now to coach Davis. It, it feels weird for me to call him coach Davis because he's just been, he was huge for whatever. He was like the scrawny freshman that came in when I was a junior, you know, and with JR and was like, we had with JR and I and, and Pete Chilcutt were all kind of like the big guys. And we used to, you know, crack Hubert Davis and knock him to the ground. And he was just this thin little kid. He was like Walter Davis's nephew. Now we weren't even hundred percent sure he belonged on the floor, you know, and uh, we were going to put him through his paces as a little, little freshman. And that sucker would just pop back up off the floor and smile on his face or scout sometimes and be ready to go for the next play. And after a while, you just kind of go, okay, all right. This kid's got some moxie. He's not just, he's just not Sweet D's little uh, nephew. He got some game. He can stroke the three. He's tenacious. He's a battler. He's a fighter. I like where his competitive spirit's at. And he was one of the guys shortly after that. Like, all right, you're you. You're cool. You're part of, you're part of the group. And he rode that. That learning, I don't know, I'm not taking any credit for his success, but he took everything from everybody and soaked it up like a sponge from the coaching staff to the vets that were in front of him uh, and just made himself a phenomenal player. You know, I think he has the record or had the record at one point, both school points scored at the Smith Center, went on to have a phenomenal career in the NBA. Uh, and now he's, he's leading the Tar Heels now. And I think it's I think it's a wonderful fit for the university. I think it's great for those players, the way he's going to coach them, not only on the floor, but in life. And that's what I like so much about it. He learned so many lessons from Coach Smith and Coach Williams' time on the bench there. Those players are going to be better people after having played for Hubert Davis. Can you share a story about Hube, as you call him, from UNC days? Well, I think, you know, just... Just the fact that when I shared you with, with you about when we were playing together, the way the kid responded to, I guess, maybe some rough action, maybe some constructive criticism. I uh, never let it get him down, always showed up, always worked hard. Uh, those are the special traits that I had with him. Wasn't that close with him 
off the floor, although we were all generally in the same area. It wasn't the first person I called to go hang out on Franklin Street. Uh, I like to get my uh, drink on a little bit more than, than certainly Hugh wasn't even of age to, to, uh, to party that way. Um, so getting to know him from that standpoint, kind of some of his likes, dislikes, things that he was into, I couldn't give you all that, but I know that the kid was a competitor when it was time to lace up those basketball shoes. And that's as a guy that was trying to get to a final four, uh, trying to win a national championship. Uh, that was the best teammate that I could have asked for a guy that could stroke the three, pull the defense out, keep them honest while I try to do my thing down on the block. And, and he, and he showed a team spirit that was infectious to the rest of us as well. So as much as he took, he also gave. You mentioned Franklin Street. So back in the day, this is the late 80s. What was your favorite spot on Franklin Street? Well, we, we had a few, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the, the best part about living uh, right there on campus, we lived the Granville Towers, the South. We had kind of had the lower floor to ourselves. And we could walk out the, the, the dormitory and, and be on Franklin Street in, in three minutes. So... Uh, we hit all those spots up and down Franklin Street from from uh, top of the hill to he's not here to, to players or Purdy's as it changed names uh, over the years. Spanky's Four Corners, uh, timeout biscuits for a late night biscuit on the walk home after all the the uh, bars, restaurants and nightclubs, dance clubs closed. Um, you know, those were were always good times. My time and Chapel Hill, uh, some of the best times of my life. And that includes winning championships in Chicago and, and going out and partying in Chicago after winning championships in Wrigley Field and Kaminsky Park. Uh, those were wonderful. But boy, I tell you, when you're 18, 22 years old and, you know, you, you, you have all the, the I guess the excitement, the adrenaline of a college campus after a big win at, at Duke, coming back to Franklin Street, lighting a bonfire in the middle of the street, and people hanging off the light poles and uh, in trees, and you got like a six pack of beer, and you're passing out beers, and everyone's slapping you high fives. Now, those are memories that you don't you ever forget. In terms of legendary coaches, Coach Shishesky at Duke is retiring. What are your thoughts, memories about Coach K? As a Carolina guy through and through, you can see my, my blue cup. I still got that uh, from 36 years ago. Uh, it's kind of hard for me to heap a lot of praise on Coach, Coach K. Um, but you got to give credit where credit is due. The man has built a phenomenal program over there in Durham, leading um, – USA basketball uh, through all those those years of success and gold medal games. Uh, he's just a, a tremendous basketball mind and has a, a obviously a Hall of Fame career. Um, we've had battles over the years. I remember, you know, when Carolina would have a down year when we were ranked 13th uh, and going in and playing an undefeated number one team uh, in Durham and, and Duke. And, and playing well and getting that win and knowing how competitive Coach K was and, you know, beating him by 20. And you could almost see the steam coming up from underneath his coat jacket that he was so pissed off. 
you know, that's a that's a memory that I will always have in my mind's eye that he is, he was gracious enough to shake Coach Smith's hand, but you know he was pissed. And for being a Carolina player, with with everyone saying how we were going to go over there and get stomped and take a beat down without our starting point guard for that for that matter was Lebo Jeff Lebo who's an assistant coach now under Hubert Davis. I'm excited about that too is that, uh, you know, we got that victory. And that's something that you, you know, you're going in there and getting a win and that rivalry, those students just foaming at the mouth, hoping that uh, you were going to get beat that night. Those are special memories that you'll, you'll always have. So to win over not only that year in 89, but in 90, uh, we also want to beat them in 87 when we undefeated. So, you know, winning three out of four, for uh, that rivalry in Durham, that was pretty special. And I'll always hold on to that. It wasn't a, a final four or a national championship, but boy, I'll tell you this, some days, even now, it felt like it. What are some things about Coach Smith that the general public may not know? Well, I don't tell you so many books have been written. I think there's, uh, even songs <laughs> have been sung about what a good man he was. Um, and it's all true. And I think maybe the only thing that I could do is validate that with my own personal experience of having had so much tragedy uh, at University of North Carolina and to have a, a coach that cared about me as a person and take me on in as a, a child of his own. I mean, we were all tight to Coach Smith and he was tight with all of his players, but I held a special bond after having lost my parents, the way he uh, took an interest in not my basketball development, but my life that was mentally hard on a 19 year old. Uh, and he stepped in seamlessly and provided all the emotional support that you could imagine that I would need in that type of situation. So, you know, those are the kind of things that may not be known to a lot of people that, um, <laughs> My life would have went a different direction had he had he not been the head coach there. Had I been in another program without the support system that was in place at North Carolina for the 27 years he had been uh, a head coach there. That was at that time. That was something for me um, that that saved me. I read a story that when Coach Smith passed in his will he designated uh, a, a check as to each of the however many varsity players that played for him at the University of North Carolina. Not a big check, just maybe 50 or $100. Could you share that story? I can do better than that. I was actually hoping that you might um, ask me about that after we you know, set up the call. So... I, if I jump off screen here for a little bit, and I hope this shows up okay, but it was so special to me that um, I had the check frame. And I'll try to pull it in a little closer. It's a check for $200 uh, with a nice note uh, telling us that Coach Smith left us this money to go out and get a steak dinner or a dinner uh, on him as a recognition of what we did for him while he was a head coach. Well, there was no way I was cashing that check. Um, 
I, I, I wanted to hold on to that. I thought it was so special. I had the letter and the check and I had found a couple basketball cards of Coach Smith and, and I had a group put that together for me. So of all the memorabilia, and I have some uh, behind me taken from the Tribune when we won the uh, world championships. Uh, by far, uh, this is my, my, my most prized piece of um, memorabilia that I have. And I've gotten, I gotten plaques and floors from the old Chicago stadium and Smith center and uh, all these different things that I kind of held, held on to. I've never was much of a, a memorabilia guy, although I wish I would have saved some Michael Jordan's game worn jerseys. Cause good Lord, these, <laughs> the, the, the prices I see that they're getting for some of these game-worn shoes of, uh, you know, Magic Johnson and, and Michael Jordan are just astronomical. Um, but that was special to me. And, you know, that I display uh, wherever I am at uh, over the years. I've always got a special place to, to, to find it in my home or office that um, just brings, puts a smile on my face. I, I remember it's hard sometimes because I, even after I left school, I would talk to Coach Smith a lot. And uh, I met, never made any major life decisions without consulting with him first. Uh, now, I always, always take his advice, <laughs> but I always consulted with Coach Smith first, wanted to get his feedback, his input. And um, so this was important to me. I, I remember sending him an invitation to my wedding in 96 was in Palm Springs in the middle of the summer thinking, well, we'd just do it to be nice, you know, let her know we're getting married. Uh, and he shows up, <laughs> you know, for four days prior to the wedding, played in all the golf events with my family and uh, my friends. Uh, you know, that's just the man that he was. And, you know, Linnea came out, Dr. Smith came out with him and you know, in 110 degree heat, he was out there swinging and hacking away with the rest of us. So, you know, it puts a smile on my on my face to, to think of how much love that he had for me and my family, for that matter. We made kind of a golf. We had a fun four days out of it um, where we played golf in the morning and have events in the evening. And he was like, yeah, I'm in for all of that. And I, you know, we played, we played PGA West and Bighorn and some of the phenomenal courses in the area. Coach Smith loved to golf. And I was, I had gotten into golf as well. I wasn't nearly as good as Coach Smith, but uh, I, my two brother-in-laws liked to golf. Will Purdue came out and played, uh, played golf with us. Um, so we had, we had, a, you know, you know, two foursomes or three foursomes would go out and play uh, in the mornings. And then we have some fun by the pool in the afternoon and have, you know, dinners and, and drinks in the evening uh, prior to the wedding. So it was it was a real fun time. It was a, it was a really kind of, you know, I, I never call Coach Smith Dean, but I, I was close it a couple of times having a pop after a round with Coach Smith. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm having a drink with Coach Smith. You know, <laughs> this is awesome. So that's the end of part one of my interview with retired NBA player Scott Williams. In part two, we'll talk about why Allen Iverson was Scott's least favorite teammate of all time. Scott will also talk about some of his favorite teammates and talk a little bit more about what Coach Dean Smith meant to him. Playing, uh, Scott's going to talk about playing on the Phoenix Suns with Grant Hill, who of course is one of the all-time great Duke Blue Devils and 
the uh, fun back and forth they had about that. So be sure to listen to that when it drops next week. This is Ben Guest. You can find all my work at benbo.substack.com. That's benbo.substack.com. Have a great day.